1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In today's program, the country's most successful Paralympian, Sophie Pascoe, faces a new challenge. The underperforming Warriors sack another head coach, but is Steve Kearney the right choice to lift the club out of the doldrums? Brothers Julian and Ardi Savier look forward to starting an all-black test together for the first time. And will a South African win this weekend solve all the Springboks woes? The Silver Ferns contemplate Australia again, and after a top ten finish in the Tour of Spain, getting back on his bike is the last thing on Nelson cyclist George Bennett's mind. Coming to grips with time off rather than her success is proving the biggest challenge for New Zealand's most decorated Paralympic athlete Sophie Pascoe. At 23 years old, Pascoe's a Paralympic veteran, and she's now won 15 medals at three games, including nine golds. That's one more than the legendary Eve Rimmer, who won 14 medals in javelin, discus, shot put, pentathlon and archery between 1968 and 1980. Rimmer also won a silver in the pool in 1968 in the women's 50 metre freestyle. Sophie Pascoe told me that waking up in Rio the day after her final race was a strange experience. It's
2: a bit weird, actually. Um, I'm feeling a bit strange today not waking up and being in the routine of you know, going to the pool and getting myself in the the mind of frame for racing, so uh, it's a bit weird to be finished with four days left to go, Uh, but in a way it is is a relief that, you know, I've, I've gone out there, I've just done 10 races in five days and I've given it everything and I can definitely tell you my body is feeling it today, so... Um, yeah, it's it's nicely finished, and I can now sit back and and relax and watch the others and support the other team members.
1: Do you find that easy enough to do to sit back and relax? I mean, given Rio has been your focus for <laughs> for so long.
2: Yeah, I know it's actually easy, probably easier for me to say sit back and relax. But it has been quite hard today, to be honest. I haven't really sort of known what to do with myself, so um, I've had people keeping me busy and uh, just doing lots of. Little errands that need to be done. Um, Yeah, it's it's obviously you know you've been training for this for four years, uh, and you know every day counts towards what I've just done over the past five days. And so, yeah, to finally can be completely finished and knowing that this campaign's you know finally over for me. It's yeah, it is quite hard to sort of sit back and relax.
1: Are you at the point though of thinking I just want to be out of the pool, or, or are you the kind of person that it's going to be a, a magnet and, and you won't be able to stay away from it?
2: <laughs> I think at the moment I'm more than happy enough to um, stay away from water um, at this stage. So yeah, I it will be hard because I you know I'm so used to being such a um, routine and being in my own processes every day. Uh, kind of girl, but hey, it's it's also nice to know that I've completed my challenge and I deserve a break. And and I'm I'm actually really looking forward to just spending some quality time with some family members and friends.
1: And a chance to reflect on, on what you've achieved. I mean, surpassing Eve Rimmer—that uh, that is an amazing feat.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I've had so much, uh, so many messages of support coming my way and the congratulations and. And nothing it's pretty hard. nothing has really sort of sunken in yet um you know it's amazing to know that i I've become the most decorated paralympian of all time and and to you know surpass me Verma who who you know did an incredible feat herself and um I'm a girl who loves swimming and who wants to um challenge myself and I just took the challenge against the rest of the world and um yeah, to know that uh yeah, and the most decorated talent of all the time is it is pretty special but it hasn't sort of quite sunk in yet I probably don't think it will until I probably get back onto some home soil and really reflect on what's just happened. It's all sort of been a bit of a whirlwind and sort of week, you know, um, to know that I've just done, yeah, ten races in five days, it's gone quite quickly and knowing that, you know, you've just spent four years for you know, oh, for only a few minutes of racing. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll sink in pretty
1: soon. I was talking to Sophie Pascoe, New Zealand's most decorated Paralympian. The Warriors management have decided to cull one failed head coach and put their faith in another with an even worse National Rugby League record. Andrew McFadden's been demoted to assistant coach with the Auckland Club, with Stephen Kearney appointed to the head coaching role. McFadden failed to make the NRL finals in the two years he was in charge, but by numbers he's still a more successful coach than his successor. Matt Chatterton asked the former Warriors coach Matt Elliott whether he thought Kearney is the coach to turn the club around.
3: He's a, an outstanding coach. I, I don't really believe his, his last tenure as a head coach was a reflective of his ability. It was more a reflection of the organisation that he worked for. So, yeah, I think that um, yeah, it's, a, it's a great
4: appointment.
0: I know uh, the word professionalism has been thrown around at the Warriors for a number of years now, and I'm sure you would have even uh, come across it a couple of times while, while you are over here. Um, do you think this is a step in the right direction in terms of getting that culture and that professionalism right, having Stephen join the team?
3: Uh, I think if we're looking at the coach, we're looking in the wrong spot. I'll say that categorically. Uh, there's been a few coaches there, and same issues have arisen at the same times of the year. Uh, players showing up at the beginning of pre-season out of in, in horrible nick and then at certain times of year, key times of the year, like the back end of the year because uh, players run out of steam because the pre-seasons have to be ridiculously hard um, or then run out of steam and they lose key games at the end of the season. This is not about the culture the coach brings in. He certainly leads the culture, but it's the players that create it. So the common denominator across this whole period of inconsistency isn't coaches. The common denominator across this whole period is the playing group and the key, the key people in that playing group. I'm not being critical of them as people, and they're certainly highly talented players, hence why there's such a high expectation on them. But um, until they start being hard on each other, still that, until they start elevating their expectations within the playing group, it, it doesn't matter who the coach is.
0: You obviously spent quite a bit of time with that playing group. I mean it has changed a little bit in the last couple of years, but it's still essentially there's a core group there that you you coach yourself. Do you think they have the ability to do that?
3: they've got more than enough ability there They're highly talented playing group, and they're really good people. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Ask me if I think they're not hard enough on each other. Ask me if I don't think their expectations of each other, not only at training, not only at the field, but away from, from the, those environments is, is high enough. The answer is a categoric no. And I think the evidence points to that.
0: I see Eric Watson and Jim Doyle have gone and created a new football advisory board uh, to try and improve that professionalism. A few names that have been included are Owen Goodenbeal, uh, Sir Graham Henry, the former All Blacks coach, to try and, I guess, sort of improve footballing operations at the club. Do you see that as a good move in the right direction, trying to establish that professionalism and culture we're talking about here? Uh,
3: I, I think it's a really good having an external um person and mentors to to liaise with and I think yeah I I don't see any issue with that at all um but again if what I do know is is in changing culture is is that there seems to be an expectation from the very top of the organization that that happens in a year you can get the best advice in the world people don't tend to change that quickly um so uh, again, I, I, I believe that the, the culture has started to change and there's been positive moves. But you know, if you can, again, it's not about the advisory board. It's about what's happening amongst the playing group. If they think that the coach is not getting good enough advice, the systems of play and the structures of play that I, I've observed that from the Warriors are good enough from a coaching perspective along with the talent to have them still playing footy now. It's about the expectations of the players on each other.
0: It always gets brought up with the Warriors, and I'm sure you actually had it put to you in the past yourself. But having Stephen Kearney appointed coach has uh, sort of raised the question again where there's this interpretation that only a Kiwi coach can coach the Warriors. Do you have an opinion on that?
3: It's an interesting question. I, I mean... I've got a heap of respect for Steve, and I've you know, just from some personal interaction I've had with him, and I, and I think that his knowledge of football and the way that he interacts with people, I think he conducts himself really well. Um, I, I guess Ivan Cleary would would disprove that theory. Um, so yeah, you know, I no, I don't think it's really about that. I, I certainly feel like it's about having a. A really clear understanding of what the current status of the culture is and the changes that need to be made, and then having a clear understanding of how long that 's going to be and as i said I, I think for a while there the expectations from the top of the organization were misguided you know it 's not like running a factory where you get a new piece of equipment and everything changes. The people and people to go through that need to and need to have the right amount of time to make those changes. And if the expectation is there that they, that they happens, uh, what you're basically doing is, is that you're not looking at at getting a, a culture together that's going to actually sustain them in the top of the competition where they should be. You're going to just make change to try and win one game and then try and win the next game. And that doesn't give you an overall um, opportunity to, to, to
1: make a sustainable culture. That's former Warriors coach Matt Elliott talking to Matt Chatterton. The dynamic All-Black flanker Ardie Savea gets his best chance to lay claim to Richie McCaw's vacated crown in Christchurch on Saturday night and usurp Sam Kane as the open-side heir apparent when the All-Blacks play South Africa. With Kane out injured, Savia gets his first run in the number seven jersey against the Springboks, and he'll line up alongside brother and winger Julian. As just the tenth set of siblings to start an All Blacks test together, rugby reporter Joe Porter has more. And a holo
0: gets it away, Piranara. But that oh. is Savia,
3: he'll be too quick, and that's a popular try. Oh, and that's some try.
5: Adi Savir burst onto the international scene in the June Test Series against Wales, providing a palpable impact in his three performances off the bench. He now gets his shot in the jersey worn by all-black greats such as Richie McCaw and Michael Jones.
4: For me, it's you know, not letting that jersey down. You know, there's um, been a lot of you know, legends that have worn that jersey. But uh, for me, it's just going out there and just putting on a, a good performance and not letting that jersey or the brothers next to me down.
5: Despite his inexperience, Xavier's star has shone so bright, many pundits have been calling for him to take over as the regular open side starter. However, coach Steve Hansen says Sam Kane is safe for now, and the onus is on Xavier to live up to the standards set by those who came before him.
0: Obviously there's a lot of history there, there's been some great number sevens and you know, the guy he's taken it off has been playing extremely well, Sam Kane, and the guy before him was
6: obviously a legend, so you know, he's got to now come out and, and do the job Sam's been doing, the hard work.
5: With Kane likely out for the rest of the Rugby Championship, Savia should get an extended stint in the starting 15. If the 22-year-old plays as well as he has been, Kane's reign on McCaw's throne could be short-lived. As for the Springboks' chances of beating the All Blacks in Christchurch, even South African pundits have all but written them off. The Box have lost seven of their last eight games against the All Blacks and haven't beaten New Zealand in Christchurch since 1965. Journalist Jacques van der Vesteisen from South African newspaper The Star concedes that's unlikely to change.
6: This weekend they've got a chance, it's a big chance, it's a long shot um, because of where the two teams are at this stage in their, in their development and in their, you know, where they are in the game, you would have to favour the All Blacks.
5: Former Springbok coach Nick Mallett has called the current team a B Division side, claiming the difference between them and the All Blacks is like night and day. Current coach Alistair Koizia says his side is full of self-belief, but even he concedes they'll need to produce a perfect performance to win team like New Zealand and the confidence that they have at the moment, uh, one has got to cut out soft moments in the game. So we, we've got to be really come up with our, a 10 out of 10 performance. The reality, though, is that the bookies have given South Africa next to no chance of winning, and they'll need a touch of the divine rather than just belief to upset the All Blacks on Saturday night. For Extra Time, Joe Porter.
1: And while the All Blacks have taken the loss of the likes of Richie McCord, Dan Carter, Ma Nonu and Conrad Smith all in their stride post the World Cup, the same can't be said for the Springboks. They're struggling under new coach Alistair Kuzia, having lost to Argentina and Australia in the Rugby Championship following the loss of many experienced players post the World Cup. But their results have led to criticism in some quarters of Kurtzier, who's been labelled as out of his depth. Journalist Jacques van der Vesthaisen is with the star newspaper in Johannesburg, And he told Maya Burry a victory in Christchurch would go a long way to relieving the pressure on Kutsia. If they can beat the All Blacks this
6: weekend, um,
1: everything that's sort of gone
6: before in the last couple of months will nearly be forgotten. Um, And, you know, when when these two teams meet, um, as we've seen in the past, there's not much really between them. It doesn't matter how poorly one team is doing or or playing at at that specific stage, so this weekend they've got a chance. It's a big chance. It's a long shot um, because of where the two teams are at this stage in their in their development and in their, you know, where they are in the game. But uh, sure, they've got a chance. It's not going to be easy though. But at this stage, you would have to favour the All Blacks. And do
7: you think that they have the self belief?
6: I think there's definitely self belief. You know, like I say, if there's any team that's going to get the Springboks up, uh, it's going to be the All Blacks. Uh, it's the one opponent that they like to measure themselves against. Um, sure, they've struggled a little bit recently, but I think the the fact that the Lions did so well in super rugby and got all the way to the final, um, that'll give a lot of the players a lot of belief and hope, especially the Lions players in the team. Um, so yeah, sure, there'll be, there'll be a lot of uncertainty, I think, around a lot of players and their, and their positions in the team, but this is the one opportunity for them to stick up their hand and say, you know, I, I belong here and the springbok is not quite dead yet. Mm.
7: So, I mean, um, do you think that the racial quota system will have any impact on their future success? Um,
6: you know, I don't I don't think so, really. I think a lot of the, the young black players are coming through in our country. They're playing um, in a lot of Curry Cup teams and a lot of Super Rugby teams and that now. Um, they all just want an opportunity to play, and, you know, some people will, will see it as a quota system. But I think, um, you know, your... Your first choice 15 will differ from my choice first choice 15 and, and that will be across the board and across South Africa. There are a lot of people in our country. We're a very diverse and unique country. So who I believe should be playing will differ from another guy You know, who, who, will, who will believe that certain players need an opportunity as well. So I don't think it should hamper it. I think we're a team that's evolving um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of outside pressures on the team. But I think if we let the new coach settle down and get on with the job, I think we can all look forward to a very bright future.
7: Mm. And, I mean, uh, how do you think the um, Springboks can hope to compete with the likes of the All Blacks in, say, the, you know, the next World Cup, given the politics that are going on around rugby and south I, I don't we can...
6: think we need to look at the politics at all. I don't think that should be an issue. I think it's just a matter of, you know, the All Blacks at this stage have a fairly solid core of players that have been playing in the team for a couple of years now. Um, they haven't lost too many players... the world cup and those who they have lost the guys who've stepped in have basically you know been around the system for a while so it hasn't been too difficult for them um the the south african team on the other hand has lost a lot of core players and a lot of senior players since the world cup so um, it's got nothing to do with with the the racial makeup of the side it's just the fact that a lot of players have moved on since the world cup so we're building or we're trying to re-establish the team um, so they're juniors and youngsters with a lot of, uh, very little uh, experience at test level. So, you know, um, give them a year or two and, and they could be there with all black style right now.
1: That's South African rugby journalist Jack van der Vesthaisen talking to my buddy. The Silver Ferns are already eyeing up the Constellation Cup after wrapping up their netball test series against Australia with a match to spare in Palmerston North earlier this week. The New Zealanders beat Jamaica 61 to 38 in an error-ridden match to retain the tiny Jamison trophy, though the home side was unable to reach the heights of their first win in Nelson, where they thumped the Sunshine Girls by almost forty goals. The Silver Ferns are just three weeks away from playing Australia in the Four Test Constellation Cup series, with the rebuilding New Zealand side hoping to win the trophy for just the second time in its seven year history. The Silver Ferns captain, Katrina Grant, told Denise Garland that while the side's happy with the series win over Jamaica, with the Australian Games just round the corner, there's a lot they still need to get right in Saturday's third test in Rotorua.
8: Oh, we're feeling good. We still beat a Jamaican team by twenty uh, odd points, but it was a different Jamaican team compared to what it was in Nelson. They um, and they disrupted our flow a lot. Like we had a lot of speed go through the court and things like that in Nelson, but we weren't allowed to do that last night, which um, is full credit to them. They we backed up the homework and saw what we were doing. Um, so yeah, but it was it was great that they came out firing.
7: Now, in relation to the extra pressure, obviously it was unknown coming into the series, what you would expect, so was it just, again, another curveball for the team to try and adapt on court? Yeah,
8: it's good for us to try and adapt on court. We're, you know, we are the ones on the court, so we're the ones who have to handle the changes and see what's happening. You know, The coaches aren't on them, they can't do the job for us. Um, but we, we try heaps of different things at trainings, and we knew they were going to come out a much stronger team than what they did in Nelson. Yeah, just having a few extra days in New Zealand, I think they really just, we're more ready for the contest and um, yeah it was, a, it was a much better Jamaican side and, and but we really enjoyed it.
7: Obviously there were a lot of changes on court mm. um, during the match do you think that also affected the way the team played it and weren't maybe able to settle on attack as much? It's one of those things that
8: but in this series, this New World Series, we want to try and get as many people on court as possible. Um, going into Con Cup, we need to make sure everyone's kind of had a test match, she knows what it's like to get on the court, you know, coming off the bench, starting and, and doing a few different roles because they all have um, their different challenges. But I think, getting more people on the court is good for us and having Maya have a debut is uh, is pretty awesome.
7: Yeah, she seemed to really relish the sort of physical yeah, circle yeah. there. How do you think she went?
8: I thought she came on and just like lifted the energy for the whole side. She just came on and wanted to be there, wanted to get the ball and wanted to shoot the shoot the shots and that's we can ask for from someone who's coming on, someone who's, you know, never played before just wanting to stamp their authority.
7: Were you surprised at the amount of confidence she showed that first shot was <laughs> from a wee way
8: out? Um, he, no, no way. I played in the polks with, with Maya so I know exactly what she's like and she's a confident
7: young woman and, and it's good going into the international scene. Now, you and Jane got a whole match together this Mm. time in the defensive circle how do you think that went
8: yeah I think it went well there are obviously a few things to work on but you know Jane and I haven't worked together I think maybe that was our third game and it was our first our second full game together so uh, it was it's working out well I think um the more we play together the more we're going to grow and the more we're going to understand what each other are going to do and want to do but um yeah so far so good we're we're enjoying it and we're um having each other's back which
7: is all you can ask from the defensive end are you surprised at how quickly you two are gelling in that circle? I mean, obviously there has been a lot of upset. You're usually used to playing with Liana DeBain and Casey Corpoa. Mm. So are you surprised at the, the change? Um, it's
8: one of those things when I first started playing with Casey, it kind of came very naturally. And it seems to be one of those things with Jane as well. As soon as we start playing with each other, it is coming naturally, which is is a massive bonus because <laughs> you don't have to work so hard on it at training and when you go into games. But I think uh, with Jane, she's very easy to play with because she's very decisive in her movements, she keeps her feet moving and she knows what she's doing
7: um, and it's very helpful for me because then I can just read off her and let her get all those intercepts and all those rebounds she got last night Now the defence was one of the strengths I think of the Ferns game, mm. how important is that with the Constellation Cup just around the corner?
8: Yeah, Very very important, Australians attacking side uh, attacking line is very slick and very fast and they know exactly where to put the ball and into what kind of space but playing with um, a different line last night with Shannon and Laura out in, in front of us was different to Kayla and Laura but both bring their own strengths and um, yeah, it's, they're all very, very good at one-on-one marking and plus going for the ball so as circle defenders we can ask for more than that outside
7: Now, in relation to the perua what, what are the main things that the team wants to go out there and do come Saturday? Just to reduce our error rate right? You know, every I think every
8: single one of us had a loss last night, which is what we want to crack down on. You can't do those things against Australia, and I um, think you're going to come away with a win. So we just want to do that, just get our, our flow back. I think it was disrupted last night, and we want to make sure we can get that speed back through the court and and just link up better with the attackers and uh, yeah, get the ball through the hoop.
1: That's Silver Ferns captain Katrina Grant talking to Denise Garland. The Nelson cyclist George Bennett says getting back on his bike is the last thing he's thinking about at the moment. Bennett became the first New Zealander to record a top 10 finish in a Grand Tour when he finished 10th in this week's Tour of Spain. It's been a busy year for the 26-year-old who rides for the Dutch lotto team after also competing in the Tour de France and the Olympics. While happy with the result, Bennett admits the three-week Tour of Spain's taken a toll. Yeah,
4: it feels pretty tiring, to be honest. Hard three weeks, but, you know, it's special, really special. And, uh, I mean, yeah, not so much to be the first New Zealander or anything like that. I mean, it's more just the fact that uh, it's just such a hard-fought fought battle and, and and such a such a tough three weeks. And, I, uh, you know, just making to the top 10, it's, um, that's a nice feeling, really nice.
1: Did it make it tougher that you took over sort of the lead role?
4: Yeah, that, that definitely didn't help, you know. I mean, starting the first week, and, you know, being there to help Stephen Koiswick. He uh, give our big big uh, hope for the overall overall victory and, and after five days, you know, the first few days he was sick and uh, so that meant I was staying with him in the mountains and, and we lost a lot of time in the first five days. And then on stage five, yeah, he crashed out and broke his collarbone. And then so we were kind of uh, a bit aimless for the first couple of days after that and then, yeah, you know, I, I was sort of getting a bit lost and then didn't know which direction I was going to Generation and, and, and we sort of sat down with the team and they said, yeah, you know, do you want to try for it overall? And, and we'll give you the support. And they did. And, you know, first it was making into the top 30, and then the top 20, and then slowly every day we, we recruited up a place. And typically on the last real stage, just got the just snuck into the, into the end spot. So, yeah, it was really nice.
1: And how does this sort of um, go for your year, you know, the Rio Olympics and earlier, and now now to achieve this?
4: It's definitely been a special year. I mean, it's eclipsed any other year of, of my career. And I mean, right from the Tour of California, and and then getting selected to, to the Tour of France, that was a huge moment. And then carrying it on the week after. I mean, I, ha- I haven't had a weekend at home since maybe maybe one weekend since May uh, or April, yeah, early April. And and that's been really tough. I mean, for me and for my girlfriend. But it's also been extremely rewarding and. And yeah, like I said, Port of France was huge, and then the Olympics was something I' will never forget and uh, and i i came <laughs> I was pretty mentally done and, and physically done after after Rio and came into the welter with sort of the expectation that I just had to be on for a few few key days in the mountains as a sport rider and then yeah, when the rain fell to me i I don't know I just <laughs> just sort of it all went my way, yeah I'm really happy with it,
1: so do you get any downtime
4: yeah i'm uh I think I've had nearly 100, 100 race days in my pocket this year, and so now it's I'm done for the season. And so yeah, just working out what, what the plans are now. Um, it'll be at least a month off the bike, maybe a bit longer even. Um, a couple of weeks in Europe, and then get back to New Zealand, which uh, by the sounds of things is pretty cold at the moment. I haven't been in been in New Zealand in uh, before end of October and in, in six years or something. So not really sure what to expect coming home, home at that time, but it's always nice to get back. And, and my girlfriend's back back in Nelson now and, and family's there. And, yeah, it's just a, a great place to come and get away from it all, especially with how hectic it's been here. And I'm just walking uh, in, in the streets of Madrid right now and there's there's fans everywhere. It's just a pretty crazy atmosphere. And so the thought of, I mean, it's awesome, but the thought of coming back to to hang out in Anacid Valley for a few weeks is pretty appealing.
1: So 2017, after leading the team in Spain, I mean, are you looking, you know, higher, more for 2017, are you?
4: I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm always very ambitious with uh, what, what I, what I want to do, but, um, you know, there's a pretty rare opportunity that Stephen crashed out, and I'm happy I got to capitalise on it, but we have Stephen Coreswick, who nearly won the Giro this year, and we've got Robert Kessink, who's been podium in the tour, in the tour, and many times, and and so depending on what I do, uh, I don't know what the program is, but I can imagine that it would be pretty difficult for me to get the same opportunity. At the same time, maybe now that I've had the chance and shown I can do it, there might be might be room. But I wouldn't be surprised if if I'm if I'm back on uh, domestic duties for the grand tours. But I'm for sure, I'll get my chance. You know, I think it's all down under. I'm never really in great shape in January, but. I can still maybe pull something off, and it's, it's all up in the air, and, and to be honest, I, I don't really want to think about it at the moment. I mean, the thought of doing more bike racing after the last three weeks is just blasting in my mind. <laughs>
1: That's George Bennett talking to Barry Guy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at nz. And you can also follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.